Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio and a very chilly December to you. I am here because a meal is a terrible thing to waste. And you are here because I bring all the flavor every weekend. This show brings you fresh ingredients, recipes, and kitchen wisdom from celebrity chefs, authors, artisans, and experts. Plus, I cover wine and libations, trends, health, and travel. Everything you need to feed your soul. And I thank you for tuning in. Every weekend, this is a true culinary exploration. I'm all about delectable dishes and exquisite gastronomic experiences. So if it's rich or savory or just downright delicious, you will hear about it right here. Of course, we are deep into winter now, and so the hearty comfort food, the braises, the roasts, the one-pot meals, getting geared up for the next round of holidays, all on your plate, I know. And I hope that ChefJamie.com will be a treasure trove of inspiration for you. www.ChefJamie.com gets you to me. You can also find my daily dish, shameless as it may be, of what I ate today or yesterday or I'm about to plan to eat tomorrow (laughs) at Chef Jamie Gwen on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, of course. And if you'd like to come cruise with me to Alaska next August 2020, private cooking classes, shore excursions, and more, all on board Oceana, the most delicious cruise line, you can learn more at chefjamie.com. That would make a great culinary gift for the food lover in your life, don't you think? Coming up this hour, we have grand guests So take a seat at the table and join me in my kitchen. Before I let you know who is stopping by, let me dish, if I may, for a moment. I like to kick off the show with a tutorial of sorts to make you the best chef you know. And when it comes to the holidays especially, I think of all those secret back pocket methods, ingredients, or otherwise that I can pull out of my magic bag of tricks to make my dishes more delicious in the simplest way possible. And brown butter is brilliant. Yes, brown butter is one of those magical secret ingredients that enhances the flavor of just about anything, sweet or savory. Brown butter has that rich, nutty taste, the aroma that's out of this world. And even better, it is super easy to make. I think it's one of those life skills that should be taught to everyone alongside things like how to change a tire or tip at a restaurant or ride a bike with no hands or how to mince garlic. Everyone should know how to do these things. And so I don't know how to change a tire, but don't tell anyone. I do know how to make brown butter. And so I shall teach you. If you have not yet realized the glory of brown butter, I'm sure you have. Make 2020 your year for baked goods and roasted vegetables and popcorn, all with brown butter because your life would change. It would be better. Brown butter does make everything better. So does bacon, by the way. And brown butter is simply butter that has been heated over the stove to become nutty and golden, right? 
And in French, it's called beurre noisette, or literally hazelnut butter, which describes its color, not the flavor. Well, it does have that nutty thing going for it, but hazelnuts are nowhere near it. But it has that rich, wonderful flavor. So I make a brown butter spread to slather on toast. It's especially delicious. You make brown butter and then chill it down again. And if you add a pinch of cinnamon, you get cinnamon bun butter. And it tastes like the best cinnamon bun you've ever had. Now, brown butter is one of those shortcut ingredients to great cooking. It takes any kind of cake to a whole new level of complexity. It's nutty. It's delicious. It adds toasty flavor to cornbread. It's wonderful in savory dishes like pasta and risotto. And the most difficult part of making brown butter is keeping a close eye on it. You know brown butter probably from that lovely Dover sole that you have at the French restaurant that you love, or it's been spooned over ravioli at your favorite Italian trattoria, or uh, you go gourmet and you make brown butter to spoon over poached eggs in the morning. That means that you and I can definitely be friends. Let me give you the lowdown on brilliant brown butter. Butter burns at a lower smoke point than other oils, which is why when you're caramelizing onions, for instance, you mix butter and oil. The oil raises the smoking point. The butter gives you flavor and mouthfeel. And so it all makes sense now, right? But when you make brown butter, which is just butter alone, it means that the butter will burn faster than you might be used to. So you want to watch it carefully because this will become your ultimate secret weapon, trust me. So to make brown butter simply, you start by melting unsalted butter over medium heat. There's really no difficult way to do it. That's the genius of it. I like to use a pan with a light colored bottom so that you can keep track of the color as the butter begins to brown. And I swirl the pan occasionally to make sure that the butter is cooking evenly. And as the butter melts, it begins to foam. And that foam is actually um, anything, you know, sort of cooking off from the butter itself. It's the beginning of the evaporation of the natural water content in the butter. And the color of the butter progresses from yellow to tan to this toasty brown. And once you smell a nutty aroma and you start to see teeny brown bits, not burnt, just brown, on the bottom of the pot, you take the pan off the heat. And the best chef's tip I can give you, you transfer the browned butter to a heat-proof bowl to cool. If you leave it in the pot, depending upon the thickness of the base of your cookware or the power of your stove, the butter will continue to cook. And so perfect brown butter is removed from the stove and taken out of the pot that it was cooked in so as to stop the cooking process. Now, the milk solids, they cook fast and you do see them settle on the bottom of the pan, sort of uh, like sediment in a bottle of wine. When you transfer the brown butter to a new container, you can leave as much of this sediment in the pan as you like. You can strain the butter through a fine mesh strainer or cheesecloth if you prefer to move, to remove rather all the particles. Now, I happen to like the slightly brown, nutty, uh, golden, caramelized flavor of those solids from the butter. So I say try it both ways and see what you like. If you're making a dish with tremendous finesse that's so fancy, you might strain it. 
If you're okay with the rusticity of seeing brown butter on your pumpkin ravioli, like I am, more power to you. And it's just that easy to brown butter for what you need for a recipe. But you can also brown large batches of butter at a single time. And it keeps quite a while in the fridge. You can even put it into ice cube trays and freeze it. And then you can use brown butter in just about any and every recipe that calls for butter. Cookies, cakes, sauces. Um, I do spoon it over fish dishes. Doesn't have to be Dover sole. Could be salmon or... Uh, your favorite sea bass. Um, I love it over pasta. I will often drizzle over steamed vegetables. Of course, when January Lean and Clean comes around, it's just a little indulgence, right? And it makes an excellent spread for dinner rolls if you whip it with some regular butter. And I will say, it's just good on everything. So, how do you use brown butter? I would love to know. Do you top pumpkin ravioli or spoon it over poached eggs? Or do you make the best butterscotch pudding you've ever had? Well, I'd love to share my best recipe for using brown butter. I make brown butter blondies. They are out of this world. And I would love to share the recipe with you. It is the bonus recipe for this week. And I will email email it to you. Just send me a note. Jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. Jamie at chefjamie.com. Say, I want your brown butter blondies, baby. And I will send it directly to you, of course. Okay. Don't touch your dial because as I mentioned, we have glorious guests to keep you sane and eating well this holiday season. We are remedying Prejudice Through Food. Coming up, I am delighted to share with you Gabrielle Langholtz's new book release called A Place at the Table. We're highlighting foreign-born chefs and their contributions to the culinary landscape of the U.S. Yes, God bless America, I will say. And God bless all of these beautiful immigrant chefs. Stay tuned. That's really, truly delicious conversation coming up. Also, we're dishing on banana bread before the end of the hour with David Leet, my dear friend of Leet's Culinaria. He's got brilliant ideas. And we are making your holiday gatherings more peaceful. Dr. Kathy Nickerson is here and she's sharing her best therapy tips because when I say feed your soul, I mean it. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, and the delicious conversation continues right after this. Celebrating the season and the chefs that make this country truly delicious. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Vogue magazine said that this cookbook might be the most important release of the year, and I'd like to weigh in. I wholeheartedly agree. Getting to know foreign-born chefs who are transforming America's culinary landscape and learning to make their signature dishes in your own kitchen, what could be better? Today, some of the country's most exciting chefs hail from distant shores, and they're infusing their restaurant menus with the flavors of their heritage. Gabrielle Langholtz created a book for the Vilcek Foundation, 
For 10 years prior, she was the editor of Edible Brooklyn and Edible Manhattan magazines. And along with Rick Kinzel, the two journalists and advocates for change edited this book appropriately titled A Place at the Table. And it is beautiful. The foundation works to remedy prejudice, and this gorgeous cookbook sheds light on the illustrious talent of 40 top foreign-born chefs and luminaries that are running the kitchens of the country's most exciting restaurants. As immigrants, these chefs have a compelling story to tell each and every one of them and sumptuous flavor to share. And so it is with great delight that I welcome Gabrielle Langholtz here to dish on a place at the table. Welcome, Gabrielle. Hello. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yes, of course. Uh, Firstly, congratulations. Uh, The book is a beautiful testament to talent and a melting pot that this country needs to embrace, in my humble opinion, and I don't talk politics on the radio, but tell us about the Vilcek Foundation and the mission, please. So the Vilcek Foundation, founded by Jan and Maritza Vilcek, who arrived in this country themselves as penniless refugees from former Czechoslovakia, Mm -hmm. and uh, found and made their fortune in this country, um, works to really pay it forward for the opportunities that they, as immigrants, found here. So a central part of the Vilcek Foundation's mission is to honor the contributions of foreign-born Americans to our country's arts and sciences. So foreign-born Americans, also known as immigrants. Yes. And every year, the Vilcek Foundation presents cash prizes in a rotating category of arts and sciences. And uh, back in, I think it was 2010, presented our first prizes in the culinary arts. And Jose Andreas, Chef Jose Andreas from Spain, uh, was the top winner that year mm. and used the prize-winning money um, to found World Central Kitchen, by the way, which yes. is uh, extra delighting for us. Mm. Um, and this past spring, we again presented awards in the culinary arts. They were presented by Padma Lakshmi, who you probably know from Top Chef, herself, yes. an immigrant from India. And we had such an incredible lineup of extraordinary immigrant chefs from coast to coast as we tried very hard to choose the four winners that we realized the prizes are just not enough. We need to come out with a book as well. So it was an absolute labor of love. And I'm so glad you're holding it in your hands now. And I'm so grateful too, because I can't wait to cook from the pages, but I will tell you reading the stories, the fact that, that you're sharing the background, the inspiration, the aspiration of all these chefs it makes, I, I was reading page by page. It makes me want to be more. Like, I almost questioned myself, like, what have I done today, right? I mean, this is, mm-hmm. this is really good work. Now, I, I happen to have a culinary crush on Jose Andres. Um, everybody mm-hmm. knows that. My boyfriend, too. Um, <laughs> if he comes to the door, I'm not leaving, but I am asking him to come in. And <laughs> yeah, so with that said, he wrote the foreword for the book. He is an incredible yeah. advocate for change, for acceptance, And then he shares gastronomic talent. And I think he's a testament to really the platform that you're speaking on. Then there are 39 others that you highlight, and I'm sure hundreds Mm. more, right, that you you could have uh, covered. Absolutely. I mean, you could have written this book for just any state. Pick a state. I mean, you could have written this book Mm. just about the immigrant chefs in in fill-in-the-blank, Texas. Right. uh, Maine. So uh, it it was very difficult to choose them, uh, the short list of 40, I think it's actually technically 41 because there's a husband and wife pair, <laughs> on page 147. Um, 
But a big part of what we wanted to do, both with these prizes and with this book, is to really uh, challenge and hopefully bust stereotypes about what immigrants mean specifically for American food. So um, there is a stereotype that immigrants, I think most people know that immigrants are the backbone to every restaurant and every aspect of the food industry in this country. But there's a stereotype that it's very often low-skill, no-skill, low-paid jobs. Um, and we're here, and sure, certainly that is a part of the story, but it's a very incomplete part of the story. Yes. So um, the chefs in this book, From Coast to Coast, are winning James Beard Awards. They, in fact, uh, two of the chefs in this book, Dominique Crenn and Corey Lee, have three Michelin stars, and both you can get. Um, so these are really extraordinarily talented leaders at the forefront, at the frontiers of of what cuisine is in this country and and in the world. I I agree. Some of them are cooking the traditional dishes of their homeland. I would say especially Night Yun from Cambodia has a restaurant in Oakland and and Mm. even just in the past year has been named uh, Best New Chef in the Country by Food & Wine, uh, major awards. Um, She's one of the few chefs in this book who's really cooking the traditional foods that her grandparents would have made, in this case, in Cambodia. Also, um, Tunde Wei, a Nigerian chef, is truly, I think, cooking uh, the Mm. food of Nigeria. But so many of the chefs in this book are creating something entirely new, which I think is really um, the American story. People don't necessarily move here and say, I will now have the exact same clothing and custom and right or i will eat the exact same dish as it was made in my country how many years ago exactly so so much of what many of these chefs are doing is drawing inspiration on the ingredients of their heritage Hmm. um but making something entirely new so um, i think that's brilliant i I have to say that's what's changing the culinary landscape in this country and we need to give credit to those who are elevating because it brings uh, new tastes on the palate. It brings new insight. It brings new appreciation. It gathers and creates camaraderie and community. And I don't think yeah. that we credit it enough. And that's what your book is a testament to. Kudos to you and thank you for bringing light to uh, many of America's greatest chefs, of which they are immigrants. They run elite kitchens. They've won James Beard Awards. They have the most Michelin stars that you can receive. And uh, I think this is a beautiful testament and and chronicle to the melting pot that this country is and how we are led by food and how it does create community and understanding and relationships and how it does bond us because we all need something to bond together. Um, So congratulations to you. And once again, thank you. The stories and the recipes chronicled in the new book release titled A Place at the Table. The book is being lauded as the best release this year. You need to see it. It is a glorious homage to the contributions of immigrant chefs that are changing the culinary landscape in the U.S. And the cookbook is available at Amazon and fine bookstores everywhere called A Place at the Table. You can also follow the good work of the Vilcek Foundation, raising awareness of immigrant contributions and fostering appreciation of the arts at the Vilcek Foundation on social. Gabrielle, please come back, share uh, your continued good work. I'd love to have you here. Yeah, wait. Thank you. As the delicious conversation continues, we're doing good work through food. So grab a snack and come on back because there is lots more to feed. 
Feed Your Soul, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio and season's eatings to you. When I say that my goal is to feed your soul on this show, I often mean more than just with food. We dish on food and wine and travel, tech and health here on the radio, and this next conversation is geared to make your holiday season easier to palate. We all know that the holidays are meant to be a joyous time full of gatherings and parties, but family issues and toxic topics can surface, no doubt, at those gatherings. So whether you struggle with heated political conversations or underlying family issues or just downright difficult conversations, Dr. Kathy Nickerson, a licensed psychologist, is here to help you navigate difficult dinner parties and family outings to make this truly the most delightful season. I am very proud to call Kathy my friend. We've known each other for many, many years. I get free advice over Chardonnay. She gets recipes when we meet for dinner. It's a very good friendship. Dr. Kathy is a licensed clinical psychologist and nationally recognized relationship expert who over the past 20 years has presented marriage and relationship advice around the world, all while authoring more than 85 professional articles and books. And Dr. Kathy has dedicated her career to helping couples strengthen and repair their relationships. She is personally invested in championing love for her clients. And she can dramatically improve your life, I believe, with her tools, information, and strategies. And so she is finally here to dish. And I am so glad, Kath, that you are gracing this show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm yes. so honored. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Um, please tell everyone what your family dinner table is like at the holidays. It makes oh. you so real. <laughs> Well, it's a lot of chaos, but it's wonderful, happy, blissful chaos. I, um, I frequently spend the holidays with my sister and her family, and she has two little boys that um, very rarely like to be fully dressed, so we um, frequently have a, a scene of, you know, running around, chasing after naked children, trying to, you know, force them to put on clothes. But it's a happy, beautiful scene with lots of great food. And uh, beautiful flowers and hmm. some lovely wine. So I'm, I'm very blessed. Yes, and, and we all are. It's the challenging times, I think, personally, that tend to outshine the good ones. That's what you tend to remember. And so I'm grateful that you're giving us your best tips for navigating the season. Um, let's go one by one. Firstly, you say try to avoid super hot topics. And I'm all for that. Uh, let's leave politics out of dinner. You know, it's such a emotional topic, mm. and especially right now in our country. Um, I, I just think there's no reason to go there during the holidays. No reason to bring up something that's just going to, you know, probably devolve into a fight. So avoid really hot topics or anything that's really painful. Because, you know, mm. the, the reason we're getting together is to have nice moments, to create memories as a family, to feel good about each other. 
And if you're, you know, constantly pressing that, you know, pain button and bringing up something that's really uncomfortable or emotional or awkward, you're going to defeat the whole purpose of getting together. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, I love that you say we should prioritize feelings over being right. I think that's the mindfulness you talk about a lot, about really being in the moment and conscious of what you're saying or what your intention is, right? There's no little magic elf that is going (laughs) to jump out and hand you a prize for being right. There's really no reward at all. So I tell people all the time, you know, don't, don't focus on being right, because if you're focused on that, that means somebody else has to be wrong, and that doesn't feel very good. So we want to focus on, again, being kind and friendly and creating good moments, not on being right or, you know, buffing up our, you know, legal argument skills or proving <laughs> who's done the most research. We want to make people feel good. They're going to remember that much more than whether or not you proved your case about something. And you say reflect before you react. Easier said than done, Dr. Kath. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's really, really hard to do, you know, but if you can take a beat um, and just think about how do I want to act in this moment? Hmm. You know, we all have family members that provoke us or bring up scandalous topics, or say the wrong thing, or, you know, talk about something, you know, serial killers in the middle of dinner. Right. Inappropriate. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Right? I mean, don't get me wrong. I do love all these, you know, serial killer shows, but I don't necessarily want to think about that when I'm cutting into a nice piece of, you know, filet mignon. Right. So, um, So I think it's really important that you just react really slowly and judge really slowly. And you don't, Mm. you know... You don't have to attend every fight you're invited to, right? You don't have to constantly respond and react. You can let somebody say something inappropriate. You can sit there for a minute and nod your head and just think, who do I want to be in this moment? Do I want to be the person who yells and screams and escalates this and calls the other person a jerk? Or do I want to be the person who calms this down and creates peace for my family? And, you know, to the greatest extent that you can, I think, be the person who creates peace. Sometimes you might not have a choice, but I think really try to slow down and react and act in ways that make you feel good and proud about yourself. I can tell you that rings very true to me. I'm very conscious of the fact that I always feel better about myself when I took the high road. And in situations when I could stay calm and be mindful, I left that scenario feeling better. And there's, there's tremendous power in that. You give lots of tips as to how to remain calm in wonderful ways. Um, you say, be helpful, stay out of trouble, fold napkins. I, I like this idea, right? If, if you're busy, then you have, what, less chance of going to the tough topic side? You know what? I will, I will just out myself here and say that I... I can be a little bit argument-prone from time to time, and Mm. I finally realized that going down that path was really selfish, right? I I don't have the right to, you know, blow up a holiday because I feel like I want to fight about politics, for example. Mm. So what I've learned to do is when I feel like, oh, I'm getting that urge, I want to say something, I want to, you know... I want to reach out and say, you know, that's not true, and I know it because blah, blah, blah. Right. What I do instead is I go clear the dishes. Hmm. Or, you know, I haven't, I haven't folded any napkins in a long time, but I will, 
you know, tidy up the living room or I'll go do something and be helpful until that impulse passes and then I will return to being with the family and usually then the topic has moved on to something else. Yes, and then you can come back for pie. Yeah, you yes. gotta come back for the pie. You must come back for pie. Everything is better over pie. Do you really bring a deck of cards to your family gatherings? I actually have one in my office and in my car. I'm that serious about it. Okay, this is super smart. (laughs) I think you just, you have a better experience if you're prepared for things to go sideways. And Mm. doing what I do and, you know, having been in a variety of interesting situations, I've just realized sometimes I need to shift gears in kind of an abrupt way. So if I bring out a deck of cards and, you know, I, I don't in the middle of a conversation just flop it on the table... But I will say, when I feel like there's an appropriate moment, hey, you know what? Why don't we go and sit over there and let's relax, and I have some cards. Let's play poker. My husband loves to play poker. So it's a a good activity. It's, It's a good tool to have if you really need to change the energy of a situation. Yeah, I, I, I think it's very brilliant and a, a very small thing that can make a very big impact. Uh, lastly, and this might be the most important on your tips for navigating the holidays, family, relationships, gatherings, and more, you say take care of yourself. If you've done a good job trying to make the event as positive and pleasant as possible, but it's just going sideways and there's nothing you can do and you know people are about to erupt into a fist fight, you don't... You don't need to stick around for that. Hmm. Or if you're sitting at the table and, you know, you're, you've become kind of the verbal punching bag for your family, you don't need to stick around for that either. You give the best advice, Kathy, and it is always presented in a very thoughtful, warm, and very understandable way. And for that, I uh, commend you. And I can tell you once again, how proud I am to call you my friend. Thank you for sharing uh, very needed advice at the holiday season. I know that your table will be filled with feasting. uh, And I know it will be peaceful and, um, and poker laden. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure to have you on the radio. You can learn more from Dr. Kathy Nickerson's genius advice and expertise on her website at drdrkathynickerson.com. You can follow on social at Dr. Kathy Nick. And because she stays on trend with relationship topics and offers tips and advice via her blog, please check it out. Her pros are always insightful. Happy holidays, Kathy. Can't wait to see you soon. And thank you again. More delicious conversation to feed your soul coming up in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. Food is life, create and savor yours. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Do you often find yourself with a bevy of overripe bananas? Me too. Well, waste not, want not. You can put your overripe bananas to good use 
with some really tasty banana recipes, everything from banana bread to banana cream pie and oh, so much more. I can almost smell the chocolate bourbon spiked banana bread baking now. Stack the flavor cards in your favor and listen up because David Leet has a culinary lesson you don't want to miss. David is a three-time James Beard award-winning food writer and the founder of LeetzCulinaria.com, where he shares hot food and dry wit. He's also the author of The New Portuguese Table and Notes on a Banana. And while he is an expert on many things, his blog has been adored for its deliciousness since 1999. I'm very thrilled to have David as a culinary contributor to this show and to call him my friend. And he is back with delicious inspiration. Okay, so how many overripe bananas do you have in the bowl right now on the counter, David? Because I'll match you. Uh, I think it's about three or four. Yes. How about you? Okay, so I had six. Now, how I got six overripe bananas, I have no idea. I swore I was eating them. But then all of a sudden, you look over and you think, oh, no, like they turned overnight. So They do. They do. I thought I could salvage a couple or a few for a smoothie. I threw Mm -hmm. the other three in the freezer. And so now I need you. I loved that blog post. You called it 11 New Uses for Old Bananas. Old Bananas, yes. exactly. We must love our old bananas as much as we love our new ones. I, You know, I think what's so interesting is I do, and I'll tell you, I think that the composition of the banana changes. And, you know, we know culinary science-wise it does. As it ages and the sweetness becomes more unctuous and then it a it really applies itself to far more wonderful, far-reaching recipes than you could even think of. Like, it, it does have new uses. It does, because the texture changes. It yes. It becomes softer. It does become sweeter. And, you know, when you get a new banana or, or a fresh banana, sometimes you go, I want this banana. I have to eat it now. And you take a bite, and it, it, it's a little bit hard. And has a little bit of a green flavor, which is odd to say because green is the color, but there's that sort of underripe quality. And I don't like that flavor at all. So I like to let them just go. Yes. And then use them later. I, I understand and agree with the philosophy. So let's use them up, please. Sure. Okay, first and foremost, how good first, is that chocolate bourbon spike banana bread? Extraordinary. Oh, my. I'll tell you, I, I, I make it so many times. And it's, it's really my go-to banana recipe when um, I have extra bananas around that have turned. Yes. And it's just so incredibly easy. And you just need, of course, the right bananas in there. And there's a little bit of lemon juice. Of course, there is bourbon. One must have bourbon. And there's must. chocolate. There's a cup. There's six ounces, a cup of chocolate chunks or chocolate chips. I prefer chocolate chunk. I like the quality of that chocolate. Yes. And it, so it, when you bake it all on up, and it's so easy to do... It is, it's got that incredible banana flavor. It's got that wonderful hit of the bourbon, those wonderful kind of lower caramelly notes. Mm. And you have the chocolate, and it is just amazing. It is just a wonderful, quick treat. And you can have it any time of the day for breakfast. You can have, you know, it's a dessert. You can have it as a snack. Mm. It's really wonderful. I have to really. say, the photo of it makes me want to lick the computer screen because the caramelized crust on right. your banana bread... I, I would wonder, comes from the fat that you're using, but the bourbon, the caramelization has to add to it as well. Of course, and the sugar that's in there too. 
And so it all kind of this alchemy that happens, and it just kind of splits open, and you have this mm. incredible crust, and you have these really, and I know you're a crunch fanatic. Yes, I had texture. Edge yes. Where on the top where it meets the pan, and it really is, it's really wonderful. And of course, the nuts there, and that meatiness of the nuts, mm. it just adds such a great flavor. Looks and, so good. You know, and one of the things that is pretty amazing is you can then take that banana bread, which, of course, has nuts, has chocolate, has banana, and a little bit of bourbon, and you make banana bread French toast. Oh, yes, you do. Okay, can we have dessert for dinner tonight? <laughs> sure can. <laughs> you dessert first, life is short. Oh, that's right. Life is very uncertain. Why not? Uh, I love your new uses for old bananas. So thank you for um, wasting not wanting not and inspiring us with flavorful ideas. I do love talking food with you, David. And you'll come back before the end of the year. We'll celebrate the holidays together, right? I would love that. Okay, please. David Leet sharing his passion, his daily dish of deliciousness at Leet's Culinaria, L-E-I-T-E-S, culinaria.com. Of course, his fabulous reads. Uh, find his two books available on Amazon and in fine bookstores everywhere. And follow David on social. Trust me, it will make you hungry. At David Leet. David, I'll talk to you soon. Here's to uh, behemoth banana bread French toasts, maybe for breakfast tomorrow morning. Absolutely. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of truly delicious conversation. I hope that I made you hungry, that I made you think, that it was insightful and truly delectable because art comes in all forms. I just happen to love the form that you can eat. (laughs) You can continue to send me your ideas, your questions, your holiday happenings, recipe requests, and more at Jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. If you're looking for the bonus recipe this week, they're my brown butter blondies. I'll gladly send that recipe to you as well. Just email me, jamie at chefjamie.com. And do check out the info on my August 2020 next year's cruise to Alaska. I would love to cook and eat and cook and eat with you on board Oceana Cruise Lines. Lastly, though, I will leave you with my last bite, as we call it, for the hour, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary inspiration. It's a do-ahead dish. It's perfect for holiday brunch. It's a simple, savory bread pudding with a fancy name. It's a brie and herb strata, and it has triple cream brie, Parmesan, some fresh herbs, and you could use your favorite loaf of French bread. I like croissants to gild the lily. Even brioche works beautifully. It is a brilliant brunch main course, and it's super simple to make. So the strata can even be made one day ahead. Trust me, you want this recipe. I will post it on social at Chef Jamie Gwen on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter today so please check it out and become a fan and a friend and i will meet you here next weekend where i guarantee there is lots more fabulous food in your radio i thank you for listening i'm chef jamie gwen signing off i hope you continue to eat well (laughs) 